right. So we start off with verse one and one John one it says the logos is a source of everything, or excuse me, is a source and everything commences in him. And of course, this is John, and he starts off the gospel of John, which the whole word is the gospel because it's glad tidings, but as people have labeled it, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things came into being by him. So he is the source. And over in the Hebrews, it's very interesting. I don't know if you ever looked at it, but it talks about all the things God calls Jesus, the word. And he says he calls him creator. So he is the creator. The initial, now listen to what John says. The initial reports concerning him that have reached our eyes and in which we indeed bore witness to with our, with our, excuse me, with our ears, then with our eyes. In other words, we heard, then we saw. And what happened because of it? We became irresistibly attractive to the point where it captivated their gaze. In other words, they couldn't keep their eyes off the word. It says, in him, we witness tangible life in its most articulate form. It's very interesting to me when people talk about heaven and all that other stuff, heaven and hell and all that. I always go to John 17, 3. It says, this is eternal life, Jesus says, knowing the Father and knowing the Son. That's the life, knowing them. And so you can grow in this life by knowing the Father. And how do we know the Father more? By knowing the Son. Jesus, the Word, Christ is the central theme. To know Him is to know you, yourself. And to know Him is to know the Father. And so that's why Jesus, I mean, huge. He's the source. He's the Logos. Verse 2. The same life that was face-to-face -face with the Father from the beginning has now dawned on us. I love that word. He says dawn. So in other words, the light's coming up. Romans, is it uh, Proverbs 4.18 where it says, what does it say? Like, uh, the light of the righteous brightest, shines brightly even to the noonday. It gets brighter and brighter as we see what God sees to be true and what was accomplished on the cross. The infinite life, a life that goes on and on and on, has no end of the Father became visible before our eyes in a human body, in the incarnation. And then the, uh, just a few comments from the commentary. Comments from the commentary. It says the, it says the word is eme, timeless existence, and I am. The word process, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was pros, or with God, which is really face-to-face. -face. Anyway, let's see. The incarnation Suddenly, the invisible, eternal word takes on visible form. The incarnation in him and now, I love this, in him and now confirmed in us. Incarnation in Christ and now in you. God is incarnate in you. He lives in you. You were designed to host the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The most accurate, tangible display of God's eternal thought finds expression in a human life. The word became human and we are his address. He resides in us. Think about that. Say it. I am God's address. He resides in me. And that's something you, I, I just think you got to just keep thinking about and meditate on. I always come back to that. I always have to sit and think about, wow, he lives in me. You can hear it a million times. I still need to hear it a million and one time. You know, that he goes into John 1 18. If you think about it before Jesus showed up, you know, they were getting little, you know, thoughts and revelations. Maybe an angel showed up, a vision. God spoke to them. There, God was invisible. Then he comes, becomes invisible in Christ. And John uh, 1.17, he says, 
the law was given through Moses, grace, which is God's favor and truth to be that which was hidden is now revealed is in Jesus Christ. In verse 18, he, he puts that in the, in the commentary. He says, until this time, God remained invisible. Think about that. Until Jesus showed up, God was invisible. God remained invisible. Now the authentic begotten son, listen, is the blueprint of mankind's design. The blueprint of your design and my design, everybody else's design, who represents the innermost being of God. Remember, he says he's in the bosom of God and he revealed the Father. That's another version. The Son who is in the bosom of the Father brings him, the Father, brings the Father into full view. You want to see the Father, you got to see the Son. That's why Jesus said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. It's good stuff, isn't it? Ooh. Brings him into full view. Just think about that. Selah. God incarnate. God becomes a man, and now we can see what he really is like. He is our guide who accurately declares and interprets the invisible God where? Within you. He interprets the invisible God where? Within you. In you. And then, you know, it's kind of interesting because he's talking about seeing, hearing, being captivated, talking about the person of Jesus. Then he says, we include you in this conversation. In other words, he's saying, this is what happened to us, and now we're including you in this fellowship. You are the immediate audience of the logic of God. The logic, of course, is the word. This is the word that always was, no beginning, no end. We saw him incarnate, right? And I know most of you know this, but I'll just keep saying say it again. Memory carne is a Latin word. So if you obviously we have a lot of Spanish people in our country, and meat is carne, comes from Latin. Carne means flesh. Incarnation is a Latin word, God living in a, a meat sack in human flesh. We saw him incarnate and witness his language as defining what our lives. He defines us. He defines the Father. He defines us. In the incarnation, Jesus includes mankind in what? In the eternal fellowship of the Father and the Son. Woo! Say, so I have eternal fellowship with the Father and the Son. And who? Who brought us into that fellowship? He did. Not us. He did. This life, which is the Zoe life, the same life that God has, that Christ de demonstrated on the earth, now finds expression in what unreserved union. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, it says, if we're in Christ and we are, we're one spirit with him. And, and that, it's not, it's, remember, it's, it's, Seamless union. I mean, there's no seams. Only God can pull that up. Verse 4, I'm writing this to complete your joy. I'm writing this letter to complete your joy 
and include you in my what delight. Remember up here he says, we heard him, we saw him, we are captivated by him, and we couldn't keep our eyes off him. And now we include you in this fellowship with the Father and the Son. And this will complete your joy, and you'll share in my delight. And the commentary says, 90 years old, John continues to enjoy unhindered fellowship with God and desires to extend the same fellowship to everyone through this writing. Verse 5, kind of going slow, but this is a short chapter, so kind of nice. My conversation with you flows from the same source, which illuminates, brings light to this fellowship of union with the Father and the Son. This then is the essence of the message right here. I love this. God is radiant light, and in him there exists not even a trace of obscurity or darkness at all. Just for fun, I've read this many, many times in other versions. I just want to read it. I'm not going to re read it again, but I just, right before the Bible study, decided to read it and amplify it. And, you know, man, it's confusing. I mean, Francois has done a great job of bringing this to light. It's really confusing other versions. You're kind of like, I mean, if you think in terms of legalism, you, you, you can kind of come up with some kind of picture, but you know, we know that that's not, that's not the truth. The truth is it's a faith walk. It's believing in what God believes and what God accomplished, not what we do. We've, we're not invited to fellowship. We were invited into fellowship. We didn't pursue and get into fellowship because of what we did. He invited us. He came and closed the gap between us. Without exception, God's gifts are only good, and his perfection cannot be flawed. And of course, that's in mean, James, and you can read that in your own Move on to six. This is the real deal. Sometimes you know, there's an explanation point there. This is the real deal. To live a life of pretense is such a waste of time. What's a life of pretense? Pretending. Pretending, trying to be something that you're not, or better like Adam, try to be something you already are. Adam was trying to be something he already was. And sometimes we're doing the same thing. We're trying to be what we already are, sons and daughters of the living God. The truth has no competition. You know, interesting scripture in uh, Luke 15, 1, it says, the tax collectors and the notoriously wicked sinners were coming out to hear what Jesus had to say. And the Pharisees were indignant. And I was thinking the other day, the message of grace and faith is very appealing to the sinner, but not appealing to the legalist. And the message of legalism is really appealing to the religious, but not to the people out in the world. And Jesus appealed to the people in the world, but not the religious. Says so truth inspires. What does it inspire? Poetry of fellowship. Fellowship with who? The Father, Son, and Spirit, and other people. In total contrast to a fake, performance-based relationship, which is comes from the law, you have to do to become. Instead of be who you are, because of what He has accomplished. You've been born from above, 
God is your father. Light is not, light is not threatened by darkness. Why say something with darkness as your reference? Remember, light came out of darkness. Remember, it's in the, from, I think Matthew 4, but it could be 3, it says, Galilee and some other stuff. It says, out of deep, dense darkness came a great light. Here comes Christ. He's the light of the world. He's the sh he came to show us what the Father really believes about us. How he really sees us. How he's come to redeem us. How he's come to present himself as a sacrifice to bring us back to him. So we feel good about ourselves again. To restore and to redeem our image and likeness, which we had the whole time. We just didn't know it because we had faulty thinking. Let's see here. Verse 7. I love this verse. I probably quote it every other Bible study, but it says, We are, I love this, so beautifully put here. We, all of us, are invited. I love that you're invited to do what? Explore the dimensions of the same light that engulfs God. Woo! We are invited. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but you're invited to explore the same dimensions of the same light that engulfs God. God is engulfed in light. There is no, it's the worst of all. He says there's no darkness as his reference. He says when we see the light in his light, in other words, we see things as he sees them. We possess the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. When we see it as he sees it, what happens? Fellowship ignites. Woo! Love that ignites, just like some of it's lit up. In this light, now listen to this, we understand how the blood of Jesus Christ is the removal of what? Every distortion and stain of sin for everybody. He came to save the world, not just the Christian church. The world. And if he doesn't save the world, he has failed. I love in Romans over there, it says, if nobody else believes it, God believes it. Now think about that. So what is God seeing? He's seeing the finished work. He's seeing, and I've said it many times, that when you died, or when he died, we were all included in his death. Hebrews 9 says, we, he tastes a death for all of us. And when he was raised, we were raised. When he ascended, we ascended even before we knew it. In uh, Ephesians 2, 1, it says, while we were dead and our trespasses and our sins, that's when we were raised up and ascended. And all we did was wake up to that which was hidden to our dark, in our dark imaginings. And when we see God. We see what God sees. He's cleansed everybody of all their sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. Not just yours, everybody's. He's removed everybody. He's made everybody righteous. Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of the Lord. Romans 3.24, all have been made righteous as a, not because they chose to, as a free gift by Jesus Christ. Romans 4.25, I believe it says, he was crucified because of our sins. He was raised up because of 
our righteousness because it was a, when he was raised up as a demonstration of our righteousness. You can go, ooh, I love that verse. And then for new, new, new people, I'll just read the word for sin is hamartia. It's in the commentary there. Is a distorted, is it, what it means is a distorted identity. The acts that people have labeled sin are the fruit of that thinking. But actual sin is distorted identity. From the word ha, without, and meros, form, without form, without knowing. Adam lost, in the, when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he didn't know that he was this image and likeness of God anymore, but he still was. He believed a lie about himself. Sin is to believe a lie about you. Instead of, like the verse above, seeing you, how God sees you, he sees you perfect, holy, sinless, well-beloved, son, daughter, face-to-face, co-seated, in union. And there's no darkness in him. Verse 8. To claim innocence by our own efforts under the law of performance is to deceive ourselves and to deliberately ignore the truth. In other words, what he's saying here is when we try to do things to become, I'm going to justify myself because I did this. Therefore, I'm good enough. He says we deliberately ignore the truth. I mean, if it's our own efforts, we fail. But it's not our own efforts. We rely on his efforts. Remember, he gave salvation as virtue of a promise he made. He made an oath and he couldn't find anything greater to, to put an oath on. So he swore by himself to give it as a gift. It's a gift that we receive by faith. It's nothing we earn. Do we do things? Yes, because we get to and because it's fun. And it's because it's our nature. We have a God-like nature. And a God-like nature is a giving nature. A God-like nature is a, a nature that wants to announce glad tidings of what like Francois likes to say, good news, news already happened. This already happened. We're just announcing it. Let's see, where was I here? The truth about us does not mean that we now have to go into denial as if we haven't done anything wrong. So in other words, even though we've done truth, we still make mistakes. We don't have to deny that. But we still judge ourselves by what Jesus accomplished, what Jesus believes, what the Father believes about us in the finished work of the cross. And the, the commentary says, if you've hurt or wronged someone, go, go to them and be reconciled. To apologize restores harmony, but the essence of confession is a conversation inspired by the revelation of the love of God demonstrated in Christ. The focus of this conversation, I guess this conversation, sorry about that, shifts from what you did, I love that, to what Christ did. A little lower and the, the third line down or from the bottom in that commentary says, you did not need to first get rid of darkness and then bring the light. Because that's what we do all the time, confessing our darkness. You don't need to do that. It says, light deals more effectively and effortlessly with darkness. The light of the gospel does not reveal sin. It reveals our freedom from it. We are free from a distorted thinking, which actually causes us to bear different fruit in our life which is peace, love, joy, kindness. Verse 9. Now, here's the controversial verse right here. This is a lot of churches hanging their head on this one. Our conversation 
takes on a, let me, let me read it and I'll just read it amplified first. He says, if we, cause we, I, I don't know what background you came from, but this is what we heard for years and years and years and years. If we admit or confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we wonder why people are so messed up. If we confess our sins, then we're made cleansed, then we're made righteous. The Bible says I'm righteous by faith, not by my confession. And I'm cleansed because of a sacrifice. Because in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 9th verse says, I and you have been made holy. How? By the body of Jesus Christ. So let's read it over here because it's a lot better and more true and accurate. Our conversation takes on a brand new dynamic when we take sides with what God believes about us. Woo! A new conversation takes place and a new dynamic, a power, when we take when we take sides with what God believes about us. Wow, what does God believe about me? And, it's, and like verse 7, we're in, he's engulfed in light. When we see the light as he is in the light. In other words, we start seeing through his eyes and believe in what he believes in spite of the contradictions that we see in our lives sometimes. So in, instead of telling God about the detail of your sin, that's what we've been taught. Here it is. You remind yourself about the detail of your redemption. Don't talk about your sin, that the mistake you made. Talk about the redemption you have in Christ. God does not need the information. It's pretty interesting because he says he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Romans 4, it says, blessed are you for the Lord will not take into account sin. Blessed is the person, which is you and I, who the Lord takes it and buries it. John, the first chapter, I think it's the 28th, it's the 28th or 29th verse. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, how much, all of it, for how, for how long, all time. Hebrews, the eighth chapter says, in the new covenant, he will remember our sins no more. God, God doesn't need the information. You do. God's faithfulness and righteousness is based on, is the basis of our forgiveness and the cleansing of every distortion. God's faithfulness and God's righteousness is the basis, not your confession, of our, of our forgiveness and cleansing from every distortion. Jesus removed every bit of condemning evidence against us. It's pretty interesting, Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for any of us because we are in Christ. And I just love that verse over 1 John 4.17, is it? Yeah. Where it says, in this union and communion, because remember that, well, actually, we're going to get to that in a couple of chapters here, but it's beautiful because it says 1 John 4, God is love. And then he goes, 1 John 4, 17, he says, in this union and communion, this union with the Father, Son, Spirit, love of God has come to perfection. And when we come up for judgment, we know even as he is currently, so are we in the world. However, God sees Christ. He sees us in the judgment there is the word creases, which doesn't mean some end times judgment. It means I'm getting condemned in my mind because maybe I did a mistake or maybe I did something that I'm not feeling good about. But even though I may feel like that, as he is, so am I. However, God sees Jesus. He sees me and he sees you. And you're in union. He's living in you. He's not leaving you. He's not jumping in and out of you. He's there forever. He was there before you even confessed him. 
Now, let's see, this is very important in the commentary. The word traditionally translated confession. The word traditionally translated confession is the word homo logeo. And this is so beautiful from homo, the same, and lego, which is a conversation to speak. And it's the same word, they get logos, the word. Homo lego, to speak the same thing that the word, the Logos, believes. In the context of verse 7, suggests that we, what we say, what God says about us. The word translates, translate forgiveness and remission is the word ephemi, I don't know my Greek, from apo, away, and hemi, and intense. Thus, forgiveness is essence of restoring to our truthful oneness. So if you want to confess, here's what you do. You make a mistake, you feel guilty, you confess what Jesus did about it. You confess the conversation of the cross, not what you did wrong. If you want to, if it makes you feel good to tell somebody, that's fine. But what you're to confess is what God believes to be true about your mistakes. He has forgiven and cleansed you for past, present, and future. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 14th verse, he says, he is forever, this is amplified, completely forgiven and cleansed every human being they just don't know it it's good news and that's why we're to announce the good news verse 10 if we judge ourselves innocent by the law of our own works then we make jesus christ irrelevant in other words we're doing all kinds of things and we think we're making it then jesus didn't died for nothing right and and what and what his word and blood communicates within us is irrelevant in other words there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The rich young ruler that came and says, what must I do to attain eternal life? And the conclusion was, who can be saved then? I'm just, you can read the story yourself. I love the, I don't think I have the time to go into it, but who can, who can be saved then? And Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. No matter what you do, no matter how many good works, and good works are important. He says, but with God, all things are possible. We are saved by faith, by the faith of God, by what God believes. That's how we're saved. Which transfigures our thinking, which brings us into the face-to-face -face relationship with the Father. And I've said it before, over in uh, Psalm 1611, it says, uh, what does it say? In his presence is the fullness of joy. And his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And it's this relationship that changes the way you think, the way you act, the way you feel about yourself, the way you feel about God, the way you feel about others. And it, and it actually changes the, way, the kind of things you do. And over, and I've said this scripture before, but it's in Colossians uh, 2 5, it says, Paul says, even though I'm absent with you in the spirit I'm, or in the flesh, I'm with you in the spirit, and I'm so happy to see that you're practical and disciplined lifestyle which is a good thing by the way but does not distract you from the simplicity of the gospel in other words good works are a good thing but you're still saved by faith and hebrews 11 6 what pleases god faith believing what god believes about all the situation that's what pleases god 